Hello, wild wanderers. I want to apologize that this episode is a little bit shorter than normal, but there's a lot going on here at Dispatches HQ. This week, Dispatches HQ is getting packed up because sometime in the next couple of months, we're going to be relocating from Virginia to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Very exciting stuff, but also a lot going on this week to get ready. And last week, the family and I took a trip to Costa Rica, which was very exciting. And we got to experience a lot of birds and insects and mammals that were new to us. So for this episode, I want to tell you about just a couple of the animals that we got to see while staying in the cloud forest of Costa Rica. The Central American agouti and the coati. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, and this is the Dispatches from the Forest podcast. The two animals I want to tell you about today are pretty common in Costa Rica. Native Costa Ricans probably don't get too excited by them. You know, probably how you or I feel seeing something like rabbits or squirrels. Sure, they're cute and all, but it's just not that unusual to see one hopping around in your yard. But to me, these animals were new and unusual, and being the nature nerd that I am, I got really excited to learn more about them. The Central American agouti is a rodent. If you're trying to describe it, I would say it looks kind of like a cross between a rabbit and a tailless squirrel. It has large hind feet and small ears, about 20 inches long, and weighs about 7 pounds. But unlike rabbits that hop or squirrels that bound, agouti just walk, which gives them a distinctive gait for an animal their size. It makes them look kind of like a miniature capybara or a tiny ungulate. When startled, agouti erect long hairs on their rump. In fact, the first part of their scientific name, dasiprocta, is Greek for bushy-rumped. Agoutis live on the ground and are active mostly by day. They primarily eat fruits and seeds, but they may also feed on fungi, insects, and crabs. They're known to follow under troops of monkeys so they can pick up fallen food. The availability of fruit fluctuates with the season, so agouti will cache seeds throughout the year, again, kind of like squirrels, so they can dig them up when fruit is scarce. These seed caches are widely scattered in clumps, so they're less likely to be found by other seed-eating animals. Since agouti are unlikely to retrieve all the seeds they bury, either because they don't need to, they can't find them again, or they die, agouti are important seed dispersers in their environment. Young agouti start bearing seeds as soon as they're independent, and they also have a high mortality rate, so they're particularly likely to fall into that last category. Agouti den in hollow trees, tunnels, or under logs or dense brush. They live in monogamous pairs that share a territory, which averages about five acres, but they sleep and forage alone. When food is plentiful, they tend to stay near the center of their territory, but if food is scarce, they'll roam farther and defend their territory more vigorously. Scent marking, raising their rump hair, and stomping their feet are all signals to a potential rival to move it along. If those signals fail to deter the intruding agouti, things can get violent, especially by males whose bites and leaping kicks can inflict some serious damage. Males' courtship displays include showering the female with urine. Sorry, don't blame me, blame nature, and please don't try this at home. Receptive females respond by going into a frenzied dance that culminates in mating. 
Gestation lasts about four months, and the female generally gives birth to one or two young, although she can have as many as four. And, this being the tropics, she can do this two to three times a year. Okay, here's one of the things I found most interesting about the agouti. The morning after they're born, their mother gives them a tour of the territory, and the young select their own den site, which they line with leaves and twigs. This den is much smaller than the mother's den, making it inaccessible to large predators. It's actually too small for the mother to enter, so she'll call the young out to nurse. She'll also stimulate them to go to the bathroom at this time and eat the excretions because a mother's love knows no bounds. This not only keeps the den clean, it prevents accumulated excrement from attracting predators. After about three weeks, the young start to accompany their mother to forage, and after a couple of months, they abandon their dens. As long as food is plentiful, they'll continue to accompany their mother until they're about four or five months old. If food is scarce, however, their mother will send them packing early. Unfortunately, under these conditions, scarce food and no territory of their own, only about 30% of the young survive. So, I guess a mother's love does know some bounds. Even under normal circumstances, agouti only live two to three years in the wild, although they can live to be 17 in captivity. There's plenty of predators in the jungle that will eat agouti, including the coati that I'm going to talk about next. And Costa Rican hunters claim that agouti meat tastes similar to veal. It's something to think about. It's possible that agouti could be sustainably farmed in a less environmentally destructive way than beef cattle. Agouti burgers, anyone? On one of our first days in the cloud forest of Costa Rica, my wife and I got up early to work out. We were rewarded for our efforts by getting to see a large band of white-nosed coati. Now, coati are by no means endemic to Costa Rica, or even Central America for that matter. Their range reaches as far north as Texas and Arizona, and as far south as the northwestern part of South America. And they're one of Costa Rica's most frequently seen wild animals. Well, I'd never seen one before, so I was pretty excited. Coati are members of the Procyonidae family. They're related to raccoons, and in some ways they look like raccoons, but with a pointier face and a longer tail. Coati stand about a foot tall and can measure about two feet long, give or take, from nose to the base of the tail. The tail is as long as the body and has rings like their raccoon cousins, although sometimes those rings are faint. Weight averages around 11 pounds, but can be as much as 17. Males are larger than females. Their coat is brown, and in addition to rings on the tail, they have white markings around their eyes, ears, and snout. Their snout is very flexible. It can rotate up to 60 degrees in any direction. This has earned them the nickname of the hog-nosed raccoon in some places. Coati are diurnal. They mainly forage during the day, and while they're excellent climbers, climbing trees to sleep in the canopy or to get at fruit, they spend most of their time on the ground. They're omnivores, eating a variety of arthropods like beetles, spiders, crickets, land crabs, and millipedes, in addition to fruits and occasionally rodents and eggs and other forms of meat. Coati locate food by smelling and then using their strong claws to catch it by raking through the leaf litter digging into logs or soil, or plucking it off low vegetation. Their diet varies by season. During the wet season, when insects are more available, they can spend about 90% of their foraging time looking just for insect prey. If their favorite fruits are available, they can be almost entirely frugivorous. 
Because they eat the fruit of a variety of different plant species, and because the seeds of those fruit pass through the coati intact, coati are important seed dispersal agents. Studies have shown that coati disperse seeds up to two-thirds of a mile away from the parent plant, significantly farther than the agouti. Coati have an interesting social arrangement. Adult males are generally solitary, but females and young live in a group called a band of 25 or more individuals. This is what my wife and I saw. There's safety in numbers. Researchers have found that larger bands of coati spend more time at watering holes than smaller bands or lone males, probably because the larger band was less vulnerable to predators. The exclusion of males from these bands is thought to reduce competition for food among the coati, especially when food is scarce. Lone males tend to be more carnivorous than bands. This might be because bands prevent the males from accessing prime fruit and insect foraging locations. It doesn't help the males' cause that they tend to be a major predator in their own right of unrelated young coati. A lone female is often unable to fight off a male, but females working together are a completely different story. One adult male, sometimes more, are allowed to join the band only during the two-week-long mating season, usually in February. During this time, the lucky male, or males, takes a leading role in driving off competitors, but they're still subordinate to the females. Gestation lasts about two and a half months, and bands in an area give birth more or less in synchrony, generally at the beginning of the wet season, when food resources are the most abundant. Pregnant females will leave their band about a week prior to giving birth and build a leaf nest in the canopy or in a tree cavity. They can have anywhere from two to seven young, and they'll rejoin the band when the young are only about five to six weeks old, big enough to keep up with the band. Leaving the nest this early is beneficial because other band members can help protect the young. Generally, the adults will fan out in a circle around the young and move slower than normal so the young can keep up easier. Predators of coati include boa constrictors, raptors, white-throated capuchins, and any other carnivore like jaguars or cougars or wolves that live in the jungle. When provoked, or for defense, coatis can be fierce fighters. Their strong jaws, sharp canine teeth, and fast-scratching claws, along with a tough hide that's sturdily attached to the underlying muscles, makes it difficult for a potential predator to get a hold of the smaller coati. Young will nurse until they're about four months old, and they're fully grown by 15 months. Average lifespan in the wild is about seven years, although they can easily live into their late teens in captivity. Males leave their natal bands around the age of two and usually have their first chance to breed just before they turn three, although often they don't mate until they're four or five just because of competition. Likewise, females can bear young at age two, but they might wait until they're four or older before having their first litter. Studies have shown that the age at which females first reproduce is strongly influenced by food availability. As females get older, they stop mating, but they remain with the band and help protect young or teach less experienced females where to find trees that only bear fruit periodically. Okay, one last thing. Coatis communicate their intentions or moods with chirping, snorting, or grunting sounds. And, as I now know from experience, it's adorable. Different chirping sounds are used to express joy during social grooming, appeasement after fights, or to convey irritation or anger. 
Snorting while digging along with an erect tail is an indicator of territorial or food claims when foraging. Coatis also use body language to convey simple messages. For example, hiding the nose between the front paws is a sign of submission. Lowering the head, baring the teeth, and jumping at an enemy obviously signal a more aggressive disposition. Individual coati recognize others by their looks, voices, and smell produced by a special musk gland on their neck and bellies. Okay, friends, that's all I have for you today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, even if it is a little short. Make sure to click those like and follow buttons. It's free, and it can potentially help me out a lot. If you want to support future episodes of the podcast, ways other than just sending good vibes during our relocation, here's how you can do that. Get yourself some sweet Dispatches from the Forest merchandise. Check out the Dispatches from the Forest merch store at cafepress.com forward slash Dispatches from the Forest. We have t-shirts, water bottles, hoodies, and much, much more. Check out our Patreon page and consider becoming a patron. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Dispatches from the Forest. If you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can do that through PayPal. Dispatches from the forest at gmail.com is both my PayPal address and where you can contact me if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes. For additional content, follow Dispatches from the Forest on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And I know I keep saying that we're coming soon to YouTube. I swear we're coming soon to YouTube. Just as soon as things get settled down, I'm going to try to get some videos up there. So stay tuned. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, reminding you to go outside and get dirty. The Dispatches from the Forest podcast is a production of Dispatches from the Forest and may not be used or rebroadcast whole or in part without express written permission.